it's, it's going to be Ross Millen. He's not going to pin in kit. Tell me he's not going to pin in kit, Davey. On the 20th of June 1976, at the Red Star Stadium in Belgrade, the final of the European Championships came down to a penalty shootout. Uli Hoeneß missed West Germany's fourth penalty, and all eyes turned to Czechoslovakia's Antonin Panenka. With ice in his veins, Panenka introduced the world to the penalty that will forever bear his name, gently clipping the ball into the middle of the goal as Set Meyer flung himself to the left. And on the 11th of November 2023 at Hamden Park in Glasgow, Ross Millen perfected that art form. This is the Oh No 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 podcast. I am Duncan Cameron, and we are here to talk about Queen's Park 2, Wraith Rovers 3. And today I am delighted to be in the virtual company of uh, Robbie Weir, first of all. Robbie, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm glad you're back hosting because you've got these intros down, down to a T, Duncan. You're absolutely superb stuff. Up till four o'clock in the morning writing that. Um, also with us is John Greer. How are you, John? I'm very good. Thank you very much. Excellent. We have uh, Carol Allison-Smith here. How are you, Carol? Buenos dias. I'm good. Very good. Fantastic. Uh, Leslie Maybon's here. How are you, Leslie? Don't eat super I, 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 only for me, please. And um, also, finally, uh, Blair Hopcroft's here. How are you, Blair? I'm still buzzing, mate. There's some fight for you. Fantastic. Me too. And uh, on that point, normally what we would do is we would sit down and start going through the game sort of from start to finish, but we're chucking that right out the window today because there's absolutely no chance that we could collectively keep our powder dry. So what we'll do is we're going to start at the end of this one. We're going to talk about that penalty and then we'll work our way back around and go through all the uh, boring, unimportant stuff that happened before it. So, um, on that point then, Blair, you're buzzing, so am I. Tell us how you saw it. Um, oh, it was just one of the games. It was mental, like that finish. And it's, um, I know that the, the guys will talk about the Ray TV commentary in a bit, but it lived out in real time. I mean, we're literally standing in the stand and I turns to my mate and I'm like, he's no good. He's not going to. No, he's not going to. And the boy in front of me who's on the bus with us turned around and he goes, I think he's going to Penenka. I was like, no, no, because everybody thinks he's going to do it. He can't he do it. And then he did. And it was just, it was scenes, limbs. It was absolutely incredible. Um, a, a thoroughly incredible day. And for me personally, I wasn't, at one o'clock, I wasn't going to the game. I was working. Um, and the the sort of afternoon session that I was doing with my work, there was really low numbers. So I turned to the guy next to me and I was like, we're merging the two groups together and I'm going, yeah. Met my, met the bus at um, Ferry Toll, jumped on the bus, and by three o'clock I'm sitting watching the game, and my God, am I glad I did it. Incredible. Absolutely. And and uh, so literally exactly the same thing happened where I was as well. So you're obviously the Rovers players are all in a, in a kind of group, and the ball's there, and you know a yellow jersey appears holding the yeah. ball, and uh, the two boys behind me, one of them says to the other one, who is that? And the second boy says, that's Ross Mullen. And I turned around and I was like, He's not going to dink this. 
<laughs> and we're looking at each other. Me and this other boy just going, he's going to think this. He can't <laughs> think this. He's going to think this. <laughs> and I think, I mean, I'm, I'm obviously I was slightly tongue in cheek with that intro there, but I do want to really, really give credit to Ross Millen there because that's <laughs> not a normal paninka. No. If it is, the keeper saves it. The keeper stands up and he knows the keeper's standing up. Yeah. So he actually chips the ball into the side. That it's, it's unbelievable. It's so, actually, so good. I was going to say, I'd actually started to make excuses for him before he took it. I turned to my mate and I'm like, but I mean, a point's good. Like from where we were, getting out of here with a point is brilliant. So there's no real pressure on him. So it's absolutely fine. There's nothing to worry about. And in my head, I'm like, oh my God, he's going to Penenka it. <laughs> uh, John, were you confident when uh, uh, Ross Millen with uh, no goals to his name for the season stepped up to that one? Yeah, well, if you remember, he did it against Morton in the Challenge Cup last season. And I was taken aback then, but like everyone else, I thought, who's going to take this? Gullin's on the pitch. He's obviously won the penalty. More of that in a minute, I think. Um, but I just thought, if there's one boy in our team that have got balls of steel, it's Ross Millen. And... Oh, tremendous, tremendous. But then the aftermath of the goal, I thought, I've looked at it about four or five times. I think there's about five bookings in what he does. He runs, <laughs> he takes his shirt off. He takes his sports bra off. He throws <laughs> it down. He then runs and slides. He then gets up. He runs into the crowd. So you've got a booking for taking the shirt off. I don't know about his sports bra, but his slide, no, you can't book him for that. But he gets up and he runs into the crowd. He's running into the crowd. The goalkeeper then runs over, picks up his shirt, hands it to him, and he throws it down again. He then goes, no, I'm putting my sports bra back on first. So he puts that on. So it takes so much time. And I just, oh, brilliant, brilliant, you know. I'm, I'm, I want to talk about the injury time as well, by the way. But um, let's stick on the penalty for now. Uh, Leslie, is that good fun for you? It's an absolutely magnificent day. And I think the one thing I'll say right away is I'm really glad that Ian Lato had the presence of mind to have his phone out and to film the whole thing. Because I'm going to be honest, I don't want to kind of like talk about out-of-body experiences and things, but I don't remember much about the penalty. I remember my feet and I remember the concrete. And a bit of the grass. And you know, and I remember people saying Penenka, 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 Penenka. And then I don't like remember a lot much else other than that. Like my I turned to a folk next to me, and my immediate thought was, oh brilliant, this is gonna run the clock down no matter what happens, and it's gonna get us a bit closer to getting a point. I thought that's it, you know, no matter what happens, this is run the clock down, we're getting the point. And then the next thing I remember is just kind of all hell breaking loose and absolute pandemonium. Um, my wife came to the game with me yesterday. We'll talk a bit more about this later. For those of you who are listening, um, my, my wife is from Japan and she's been at a couple of Rovers games before, but she's never seen anything like that at a Rovers game. She's also four foot eight. So I lifted her up so she could see the penalty going in, which is one of the reasons I didn't see it particularly well. And um, so this was completely kind of different to anything she's seen before. Um, and of course, then there's, there's to total carnage, as John has just so wonderfully described. And then things like my, my dad's mate was sitting a couple of seats down for me, and he's extremely calm 
And then this kind of voice of reason voice comes booming out. We still have a few minutes of injury time to play. Calm down, everyone. Thinking, aye, that's a that's a fair point, actually. But no, I mean, it's just, you know, for, for, for us, for, for where we live, you know, it's out of the house for 12 and a half hours for 90 minutes of football. And it was absolutely worth it for the end of the game yesterday. A round of applause for Leeds for 12 and a half hours. That's yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Much deserved. Chapeau. And uh, while, we're, uh, while we're giving out um, rounds of applause, as you say, Ian Lato, podcaster extraordinaire, cameraman extraordinaire, <laughs> and also I got a cuddle off him in the concourse at full time, and he's pretty good at that as well. Um, so, Carol, you you obviously saw the, the, the benefit of the uh, the experts at Wraith TV giving you the commentary on that as well. Did yeah. that make that uh, any easier to watch, or were you watching through your fingers as well? I uh, was watching through my. F- I always believed three two. Have the faith. Oh yeah, absolutely. She called it to you for she that as well. It. Yep. Five minutes to go. Well, in retrospect, twelve minutes to go. Thirteen minutes to go. Don't know my maths is off this morning. It's Sunday. Um. Yeah, watching through. I was going. It'll run down the clock. We'll get a point. It'll be fine. And then I thought, he's going to dink this. He's either going to dink it straight in and it's going to be beautiful, or he's going to attempt to dink it and it's going to sky it. And who cares? It's a point. But I will never forget the commentary of he's ripped off his sports bra. That is modern day football for you. That is, he's ripped off his sports bra. He's ripped off his top. And as a sports bra wearer, those things are difficult to get on and off. This is not an easy thing to do. But yeah, amazing. My cat's just scarpered and didn't appear for like 45 minutes. <laughs> and uh, Robbie, tell us uh, how you saw that penalty as well, and and I think maybe a bit of a word for uh, Bill Orr, who does the the, sort of the analysis as well. I think a bit of work from him's gone into that. Yeah, I mean, it was just I don't know about the work going into it, but yeah, just the the fact that you knew it was coming, and um, as I said before, I mentioned it on Pie and Bofro that like the Queens Park fans, Ross Milne's played for them before. So they know, they're probably sitting there in their heads or screaming out loud, it's going to Penenka, it's going to Penenka. But then just to have the presence of mind to actually do it and just to, to watch it go in, wow, it's just ridiculous. And I'm so, so glad for every single person that made the trip through because it was a very, very healthy away support that we took there. Um, and that Ian Lattle video is very, very funny simply because you get the, the penalty itself and you get the celebrations. And then he immediately turns and starts giving the Vs up to, to the wee Queen's Park fans, which was uh, was amusing. But yeah, I did uh, I did like that Ross Milne in his post-match interview was was apologising to Blair, who does a lot of the sports science stuff, because obviously it'll be a data vest that Ross Milne's torn off there, the sports bra, um, and says that he's just trying to do it for the numbers. So he got an ex- bit of extra running by going to the crowd but yeah just um, incredible and it, again it's one of those ones where two points we've said it so many times on the podcast probably wouldn't have won that game last season definitely wouldn't have won that game last season um, and secondly that yeah just builds into the whole sort of tie in between the club the supporters the everything that's going on and it's just you wouldn't expect it but at the same time you can completely understand it and expect it and when Carol said 3-2 in the group chat, you're thinking, you know what? I genuinely believe that they could actually do it. And when they did, it it was a surprise, but also it wasn't really a surprise because I've got complete belief in this squad. So, yeah. I think that, that belief is very evident within the squad as well. I mean, it almost doesn't need to be said at this point that the, the mentality and everything that's going on um, through 
everybody in that team. You can absolutely see it. And again, I think we are we are um, well, well beyond being at risk of repeating ourselves and saying that wouldn't have happened last season. I think you're now talking about going back multiple seasons a long way back to, to say would that have happened with other robots. Very like. reminiscent of that 4-3 Airdrie game in terms of the circumstances, obviously. There was a, a goal... Go extra Airdrie, but even still, it's one of those games where it's the epitome of why you go to football matches. Because even for the games that you look at a team like Queen's Park, and we've not really got much connection against them, it's not like a derby, it's not like a big occasion um, going to Hamden in those circumstances. But it's the reason why you go to games like that. It's the reason why you'll continue to support the club. And when as soon as you get a moment like that, you'll have people talking about that for the rest of their days. Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. And that's it's one of these, but that Airdrie away game was one of the very few games that I missed that season. Um, so I feel like I've uh, I've had a little bit of uh, a little bit of redemption. payback from the, the footballing <laughs> gods for that one because uh, that was very good fun yesterday. But um, right, let's come back down to earth a little bit. Let's go back to the start. Um, so it was an unchanged starting lineup from Ian Murray, which we'd obviously, or you guys had talked about uh, in the week. There was. Dylan Easton sort of knocking on the door. I think a couple of us expected that change, but he didn't make that. Um, so kind of, but I mean, to be fair, you know, the guys that were there had um, done enough to kind of keep their place. That whole first half, then, um, Lewis Vaughan, an excellent goal to take us in sort of one 0 at half time, but a very, very even game. Um, let's come to John. Let's come to you first of all. Um, just to kind of talk us through how you saw that first half and. Um, your general kind of thoughts on the opening period. I thought um, I thought we kind of worked our way into the game, and we then started to get our what we talked about. The big pitch started to play quite quite well, knock the ball about, and then it it was a really good goal and a, a well taken goal by Lewis Vaughan. Um, and I, I never, I think there was the one chance in the first half where. I'm not sure what player it was at Queen's Park, but he broke through and he had a shot that kind of did look as if it could have troubled Kevin, but it just seemed to drift away. Other than that, I don't remember them having too many opportunities. I, I think they got round us a couple of times on the far side, but they didn't really capitalise on that. And I thought we were quite comfortable at, at one nothing at half time. Um, but yeah, I, I, just, uh, I, I, I really agree with you. Yeah, of course. Yeah. John, you mentioned about the big pitch, and to be honest, um, regrettably, I've been spreading fake news um, because Ian Lattle's brother, um, Rula, yeah. who is formerly a groundsman at Starks Park, and now yeah. I believe he's at Murrayfield now, uh, yeah. he actually said the dimensions aren't too. To maybe like a few few feet extra compared to Starks, so actually the big pitch thing's a bit of a myth. Um, so he was very quick to to respond and tell me that. So sorry for spreading fake news and and um, bringing the reputation of the podcast down. Right, I'll I'll take all that back. Then we played very well on the kind of average pitch we were playing on. Um, I thought we played very well on an average pitch. It's about time Hamden got a bigger pitch. <laughs> It's it's hard to believe that there's people out there with with more expertise than us. But uh, yeah. when there are, I think we're always happy to uh, to be corrected. Um, in terms of the game, though, John, I, I agree with you. I think that first half for me, I've not looked at the numbers. Um, that's not what we do here. But 
I, I think it felt like so Queen's Park had more of the ball and, and maybe even more of the territory, but we had more of the chances. And I think we were kind of comfortable with that, sort of um, trying to get forward quickly. And um, Lewis Vaughan does what Lewis Vaughan does with that, where it's, it's a very sort of deliberate little move that he's got, where he almost runs the ball into the defender's legs, you know, tries to get kind of get the defender really playing sort of underneath himself. And at this one, it comes off where it's that little double touch and he buys himself that space in the box. And as you say, it's it's, it's an excellent finish. Um, Carol, going in at half time, were you, well, uh, we won now at half time. Did you think it was going to end up 3 2 at that point? There were more goals in the game, my concern. And I think um, Ian Buddy mentioned it in this post mass interview that if we'd gone, it could have gone either way when we were 2 1 down. It could have been an absolute humping. And I think previous seasons we could have lost that four. Two, um, but there was something in the body language when we went two one down. Just instead of heads down, physically people just going, "Come on, let's let's go, let's keep moving." Um, at half time they looked all right. There was definitely more goals in the game, but my concern was still that Queens Park was they were going to score because even though they'd had their defeats against Dundee United, that big defeat, they had been scoring consistently between that game and come this the game against Race Rovers. So they got goals in them. Um, thankfully, only two of them, and we had three. That's it. I mean, Rory Payton, I think, I think is now is the joint top scorer in the division. So for all they've been very disjointed, they've they've got that kind of danger up front. So there's always um, always a, a likelihood of that. Um, so let's let's fast forward a little bit then. Let's get up to the the red card, where I think um, particularly those of us who were in the ground might have a little bit of maybe a slight apology to make towards the referee on this one. Uh, Blair, do you want to to pick that one up? Yeah, I mean, I I personally don't have to apologise to the referee because I was just flummoxed. Like, I couldn't say that's a shocking decision. It didn't look from... The thing is, like, I mean, we we talk about playing at Hamden and stuff and how great it is. It's rotten. Like, the view that you get from that bottom corner, you can't see anything at the top end. It's a it's a horrible way to watch a game of football. Do you know what I mean? And I kind of think like, had we been at a better angle, you might have had a, a better view of it. But the tackle at the time, I thought there was nothing in it. To be perfectly honest, are you live? It didn't look a lot. But I said to my mate, I was like, the way they've reacted, and the way we haven't jumped to defend them. Like there was no kind of hounding the referee. Didn't listen to them. He's full of nonsense. The Rovers players kind of went ah. And all the Queen's players were like, and there was, um, I think it was Peyton actually, was right over at the linesman. He's like, you're in his ear. Like, you've you've got to say something. Because he was going to book him. Um, but no, there was very little argument. And you and Murray hid, which I always think is a really telltale sign. As <laughs> soon as it happens, he's like, ah, hiding at the back of the group, group like, he doesn't care, it was me. I, um, um, can I just say, sorry, can I just come in here? I, I found it a really strange <laughs> incident because... You had a referee that was maybe 15 yards away and then you had a linesman that was 50 yards away and it seemed to be that the the linesman was the man that made the decision and and that's, I just find it a bit strange. But the other thing is as well, there are certain teams who the reaction of the opposition players makes a decision um, I think it was I, a red though, John. Like sorry? I, we've got to be honest, it was a red card. Oh, yeah. oh listen, I, yes, at the moment that it <laughs> happened though, 
Yeah. Uh, I think it's <laughs> interesting when you're talking about the linesman, I think it's the angle because I, I yeah. think from where the referee is, I don't know if he's made, if he knows if he's made contact because the ball kind of kicks up. And when you watch the replay, I think Murray's gone into the tackle and thought, oh, the ball's there to be won. And he's kind of lifted his leg to try and play the ball. Completely missed it. I don't think he's gone into it's not a you and Murray type of tackle. Yeah, I really it's not it malicious. I don't, I don't think he's gone in to chop him. I think he's just he has caught him though. And I think it's yeah. a linesman that's saying, Yeah, he's he's made contact. So I wonder if actually looking at on the replay, the order of events might not be slightly different. I wonder if the referee doesn't actually know straight away he knows he's gonna send Murray off, but he gets the yellow card out for the reaction. Because the boy is straight up and in Murray's face. And I wonder if... Because actually, when you see it back, it's so clearly a red card. that Actually, I, I would be quite surprised if the referee's seen that and thought it's only a yellow. So I wonder if he's maybe done that sort of... Like, well, that's so clearly a red card. I can almost park that. I'm getting the yellow card out. I'm going to sort out the Rami first. Yeah. And then it's almost, you know... Again, I, I think that the, as soon as that challenge goes in, I think the linesman's in his ear just saying... You know, to be fair, he might be asking the linesman if the if the reactions are red as well, because he's maybe That's not. You no. might be right, actually. Yeah. But, but at the time, I thought the same as you. I, I think I maybe said, um, I certainly said to my dad, it was I was at the game. It was like that's one of those where like he's off the ground, but he's won the ball, so it's a yellow card. You know, if he catches the man, it's a red. But he's not, and then you see the replay, and it's like, ah, yeah, quite clearly has. He catches some runs, but the ankles, like it's, it's definitely, it's, it's a red card. Yeah. Um, uh, anyone want to to disagree with that? Anyone seen that and and not think that's a red card? No, I think you'd be you'd be on a hiding enough, and then we've already spread enough fake news on this podcast <laughs> over the last week, or me certainly, to 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 get in a position where I would be disputing that it's a red. I, I think it just yeah, looking back, it's when you um see the the Rafe TV highlights it's quite clearly um in that position which is unfortunate and again I don't think it was malicious at all I don't think anyone would really suggest that firstly he, uh, Ewan Murray's that type of player and as well that he's gone in with that intent but it's just he's tried to win the ball it's just not worked out um and these things are going to happen players make mistakes so we've just got to deal with the, the repercussions of it and how it will pan out over the next few games I think yeah. that's the thing. I, do, I don't understand the rules well enough when it comes to this kind of stuff with cups and leagues and which carry over and which don't. I mean, yeah. our next two games are both cup games. So is he suspended for them? Is he not suspended for them? I'm presuming it'll be two games. At least one, because it's violent conduct he got sent off for. Yeah. So right. surely you missed the, the next one for violent conduct. What happens after that, I'm not sure. But yeah. he's definitely not available for Hamilton. Two. There's something in my head that says Scottish Cup. So Murray's post-match, you know, he was like, it's a red. And there was no kind of, there wasn't even any signal that we might try and appeal it. It's just yeah. like he just says, we're going to suck it up. Yeah, so and whatever again, he's out yeah. for. Again, yeah. I think that comes down to the analysis side with technology nowadays that you you've you see them on the touchline with iPads and you've got the likes of, uh, whether it's John Potter or you've got Bill up in the stand, um, being able to sort of be in his ear straight away saying, yeah, I can see the footage, clear red. Like, if there was any dispute in it, Ian Murray would have been straight out in the press uh, press conference after the game saying, yeah, it's not red. But, again, quite clearly it is. And it's just, again, it's unfortunate. It's one of these ones. These, these are going to happen, though. It's the way... It's the one player. It's the one player we did not need with a suspension. Our only fit senior centre-half. And you know what's funnier as well is the fact that with 
uh, nobody is taking this as having a go at him because he's going to be non compass when that penalty hit the net. But Ross Milne tearing off his shirt um, means that he's going to have a suspension as well because he's moved yeah. on to the, the next... Uh, sort of fr- he's covered the threshold for bookings. But Ross... Frankly, we, we don't, we don't yeah. care. We don't care that. in the slightest. Um, Scott McGill can probably figure out how to play somewhere on that back line. We'll get it sorted. If if we need to go through that for that, then absolutely fine by me. And um, on the topic of Scott McGill, so obviously the red card goes up and Ian Murray's got some decisions to make. And I think there's a very clear uh, sort of sliding doors moment at that point when he's he's got to decide who's going on there. And he's really got a straight choice. So he needs to retain his back four. There's now a big gap in it. He can either put a defender in and add Adam Masson in as the centre half, leave everyone else where they are. Or he can add a midfielder in, in Scott McGill, and try to get a little bit like he did when he talked about playing Scott Brown over Adam Masson. By playing a midfielder, you get yourself going forwards a little bit. Now at that point, still 1-0 up. And he opts to go for the midfielder. He opts to put in Scott McGill on his wrong foot, in at left back. Up against Dom Thomas. Up against Dom Thomas. More about him to come. <laughs> and um, that is a very, very bold decision. And I'm almost tempted to ask everyone to take themselves in a kind of headspace to about the 85th minute and tell me how you felt about that decision. And then we'll revise it given what happened after that. Um, so, in fact, yeah, let's do that. Um, uh, Blair, let's start with you. How did you think about the feel about that sub at the time and about what kind of happened then over the two goals that we conceded? Yeah, um, so I'm, go- I'm going to be quite bold and say that I'm not going to revise how I feel about it based on the, the fact that, that Miguel got the assist, which we'll come to in a bit. Um, I think it was the wrong decision. Um, and I, I think it, it played out as the wrong decision other than the assist. Um he, he he went with with um my, uh, with Miguel sorry and I, I completely understand why he did it to because putting Masson in alongside Scott Brown it's, it's quite a big ask when you're down to ten men and they're going to be flooding the box I, I can get why he did it but Dom Thomas saw it and instantly moved about ten or well according to uh, Mister Lato it's about four yards further out but he he moved basically straight to the touchline and he went wider than any winger or right-handed midfielder is ever going to go. And McGill had no clue what to do. He didn't know whether to go, whether to stay. He, he just he got himself off mixed. And both goals, and, and I'm, I'm going to completely say this, no fault of Scott McGill, but both goals were caused by Scott McGill being in there. And it's not his fault. It's not his position, and he can't play it. Not to that extent. The way that Dom Thomas played him, you need an experienced defender, and actually, I would say an experienced fullback. And I think that's the thing where I feel like Dick would have dealt with that better. It's the side of the game he's good at, that defensive side. Um, but yeah, Dom Thomas just peeled as wide as he could, and you could see for both goals, Miguel's like, "Do I go? Do I not go?" And Dick's no talking to him. And that was the other thing for me is they just got caught in this weird no man's land of no really having a left back and no really having a centre-half because Dick's probably at fault for the second goal as well because he's the man that should be picking up uh, Peyton, I think, because Brown's got another man behind him. Um, so, yeah, it was a bit of a shambles at that point, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, I think if you take 
a right-footed midfield and you drop him in at left-back and then you were to compile a list of the wingers in this division that you don't want to have to go up against. 100%. Dom Thomas is in the top two, top yeah. three in that list, easily. Dylan Easton's right up there as well. And then you've got your likes of um, Glenn Middleton, Kai Fotheringham, these guys at Dundee United. But Dom Thomas is one of these guys who we've all seen games where he just doesn't feature. But also, you give him that little bit of encouragement, that kind of thing. He's one of these guys who, if the first thing he does in a game is good, he goes on to have a good game. Yeah. And he's, you know, he's, he's been kind of peripheral in that game. Bobby and then Barr straight Central. away, exactly. You say to him, all right, Dom, uh, this guy actually doesn't really like playing left back and he's right footed. Dom Thomas is rubbing his hands. And uh, I feel yeah, like absolutely. we play his hands as well because Dom Thomas is a dick. There's no two ways about it. He is. And he's the kind of dick I would, Dylan Easton's a dick. And it's the kind of dick you love in your team because he just noises people up. But he's the kind of player, and I always I laugh. I think it was Stephen O'Donnell was talking about playing um, against England. They play, played against Jack Grealish. And he's like, he knew if he went in and started giving him like dogs abuse, he would love it. So he just spent 10 minutes going, oh, your hair's really nice. How'd you get your hair to look like that? You know what I loved okay, about you're, that? Your cast are incredible. John McGinn said that, um, like, if you wind him up, you're just going to get, yeah. like, just play into him and he's just going to tear you to shreds. What to do is just go out and compliment him. Be lovely to him. Be really nice to him. Just So he just says, your calves are fantastic, by the way. And that was it. That was it. Yeah. And then we just spent like the rest of it. The fans play a part in this as well because we oh, are booing him and giving him stick and he's applauding us going off and all the rest mm. of it, which I love. I love all of that stuff. Aye. But plays right into his hands. Um, Leslie, I think your uh, your wife has some strong feelings about Dom Thomas, I believe. Yes. So, um, like, my wife's been to the Afnu Rovers games and, I mean, she's also been to a lot of games in Japan with me. And the thing about Japanese football, Japanese football is great. Brilliant atmosphere. But there is no aggro and there's no shithousery. It's all very polite, you know, it's all very nice. Now, that's great, I and mean, that's, that's absolutely brilliant. However, you very rarely get people getting wound up by opposition players. So just for a bit of context, well, my wife is four foot eight. She fits in that, you know, that um, junior-sized goalie top. She actually wore it yesterday to Hamden. And, you know, so she, she, her kind of experience of football has been, you know, kind of very polite applause and things like that, and, and all the rest. She didn't know his name, but she got properly wound up by, and I quote verbatim, that number 11 who looks like a squashed potato who was clapping when he went off. And, you know, he was, he was applauding when he went off. And I mean, like, like Blair just said, you know, we've got guys that do it. You know, Dylan Easton does it, Ross Millen does it. Part of the kind of trade-off is you've got to just suck it up when the opposition do it to you. But um, my wife was properly getting into this Um she was properly getting wound up by this guy, you know, applauding as he went off, you know, and then sucking up there. The guys we were getting absolutely out of their out, out of their minds down at the front in, in rage, you know, turning into a dribbling, slavering mess. Um, so if you if you if you'll just forgive me for the purposes of the narrative of fast forwarding to the very end of the game, when we are winning 3-2, Queen's Park's heads have gone, they've taken all their best players off, and then Dom Thomas's coupon appears on the big screen. This absolutely tipped myself and my wife over the edge. I mean, you know, this graphic gesture towards a big LED screen is, is not something that kind of refined and educated people should do, but it was it was just part of the uh, part of the, 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 the day seeing that big mug appearing. There's nothing better than the man of the match being awarded to a player who you love to hate when they've just lost. 
So an absolutely glorious end. And, you know, as I say, part of it is that trade-off, you know. We've got guys that do it. When they do it to us, it's all part of the, the kind of pantomime villain thing. But no, I, I, a great day out for my wife being introduced to the uh, the dark arts and the shithousery of lower league Scottish football. Can I, can I ask you a question, Les? Now, you, you quickly came on our, our chat and you said you'd made the train. Did your wife tidy up all around her like Japanese fans are prone to do when they go to games? I hope she did now. Well, we absolutely did. We 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 took a wee cloth bag with us and we took our, our cups away with us and things like that and put them in the in the recycling point outside. There wasn't actually that much to tidy up because the catering was so incredibly overpriced at Hamden that I don't think anybody actually bought anything. You know what I mean? I think if you next time we have a, a friend there or whatever against Japan at Hamden, there's gonna be nothing for them to clean up because nobody's gonna buy anything. Yeah, a guy in front of me Good came man. back. Three pies and a Diet Coke, 18 quid. What? Yeah. Uh, I, bought, I, just... I bought a portion of chips, four pound. And it was like this tiny little portion of chips. And they weren't any chips. I think of what they were. <laughs> were like stringy and chewy. It was weird. Well, we meet we meet Phil Nicholson at uh, Hart Hill. I park my car, go through the village of Hart Hill, which is an experience seeing all the Union Jacks and... Oh, everything flying there. And then you park up, we buy him a coffee. I take it a mortgage to pay for it at Hart Hill. And so equally as bad there for pricing. But uh, to go back a step just a little bit to, to your point there, Les, about the big screen, that's so good. I think all victories should be accompanied by like a 30-foot LED vision of your biggest sort of antagonist over that game. Or just so Thomas. good, just big smiley Dom Thomas as we were celebrating. That was that was so. I enjoyed that so much. Thank you sincerely to whoever at Queens Park is in charge of that because that was really really good. I don't know if you saw during the week there was a team in Peru that won a championship away at the <laughs> rivals ground and they just flicked the floodlights off. This was the opposite. This is just here's giant beaming Dom Thomas to watch you all uh, watch you all well, celebrate. If we beat Dunfermline the next time around. Um, I wonder if they can do that for James McPake so he doesn't have to watch us celebrate and cry again. <laughs> Duncan, can I ask yes, you that? Sure. That's become a, a theme of this season. We've been... We played Barrack Thistle. We're 2 nothing down. They took off Brian Graham and I think it was... Um, who's, who's Lawless, Stephen Lawless. Um, Queen's Park came to... Starts Park, they're winning. They took off Dom Thomas and was it Peyton they took off that day as well? And they've done it again yesterday. And when they were doing it, I did say, this could come back and bite them again. Yeah, I um, I, I wanted to ask Robbie about this, actually, because it was something you said last week, uh, which, which, to be fair, sort of stunned the footballing world when you said that you quite like Airdrie. Um, but I think we, when we kind of dug deeper into that disturbing comment, what you were saying was that you, there's a lot to like about this Airdrie team and sort of how they go about their business. Kind of contrasting that to this Queen's Park team, I think there's, there's a lot of similarities there. You know, they've got young coaches, they've got young players that they're trying to kind of do the same thing. But where there's quite a lot to like about the way that sort of Ross, uh, Reese McCabe, sorry, goes about his business and sets his team up, are Queen's Park the opposite of that? 
is there is there a lot to point at and really not like about the way Robin Veldman is uh, going about things? It's um, it's a funny one um, because they're not a bad side to watch. They're not like Morton, for example, um, it, where you just think, man, they're just garbage, aren't they? Um, which was, again, very funny to see Dougie Emery getting called out for saying, we just need six points and we're in the playoffs when they're nine points behind Airdrie, which, uh, Dougie, not your strong point there, is it? Um, but yeah, with uh, with Queen's Park, you c- it's almost like they're, they've got an honour system where they're like trying to philosophise and play this football that's like, okay, we'll pass it out from the back, we'll do this sort of death by high press almost and sort of stick to it and we'll use these young lads and we'll bring them on but if you're going to sub off your best players you cannot then blame the lads that you bring on who are what 16 17 20 or so and then say well it's men's football now because what are you expecting like i don't it's almost like you're like okay i'm going to create a problem for myself oh well, we shouldn't be doing that. Why has that happened? Uh, it's almost like Velbin's really, really naive. And there was sort of suggestions on Pie and Bovril from Queen's Park fans. Apparently, Marin Bucher was sort of pulling the strings. Um, people in hospitality claiming that he was the one that was sort of saying, we need to do this sort of stats-based tactical substitutions. Um, which, yeah, just, it doesn't make sense. Again, it's statistics are a very funny thing. If you look at the player that's got the most goals per 90 minutes in this league, if anyone can get it, I'd be very surprised. Does anyone want to take a pick? It's Kieran fucking Mitchell. Kieran Mitchell is currently in the championship. <laughs> He's got nine goals for 90 minutes because he scored in a 10-minute spell, much while uh, how Ethan Ross has statistically got the most assists. He's got two per 90 minutes uh, compared to everyone else. So you just get these little anomalies. But yeah, it's just like... Very, very naive. Um, and it's twice he's done it. And thank you, just yeah. really, because um, they should have been home and host. And I mean, you've also got to give a tremendous amount of credit to our lads for never giving up and the fans for sticking behind them. But yeah, just a very, very strange sort of setup that they've got. And you can see what they're trying to do and especially what they're trying to do in terms of Hamden as well. I think that should get called out, the fact that they're sort of looking, they're eyeing up the top flight and, oh, we've got lesser Hamden built for, for league games, or oh, we'll just move back to Hamden. And, oh, by the way, we're going to give 40,000 seats to the old firm when we get there. Um, it's Everyone can see through it and everyone knows what's going on there. But, yeah, just yes. uh, time will tell. But they're not heading in that direction at the moment. They're looking the other way. So that's nice. I think we're, we're Veldman, it's, it's naivety. Here. Yeah, right. I'm going to come in very quickly. And the reason I was looking down was that I was scrolling through my phone. And the reason I was scrolling was to get to the bottom of the Dutch Erdedivation table to see where Ajax are in that table. Now, we all know about the, the links and the, the purported links between Boyker and Ajax. We also know where um, Manchester United are in the, the, the Premier League in England. We're, of course, coached by Ten Hag. And I would just like to put it out there that this whole system of statistics and then of whatever that comes with it, that um, that that kind of manager and coaches buying into can get in the bin. And it absolutely did us a huge favour yesterday. I mean, well, you know, I think like, like, like Mabon just said, like Robbie's just said so well, you know, and John said, it's like the Partick game. They start taking all their best players off, you know, when they're not actually winning that comfortably. You know, if you're four or five nil up, Fair enough, start bringing the youngsters on. Anything can happen at 2-1, even against 10 men. And you're just, you're making a rod for your own back. 
So I'm, I'm very delighted that this whole Ajax-style kind of youth and possession and player performance forms thing has donated us some more points. That's that's exactly it, and it's it's the kind of statistical approach to substitutions. I remember Lee Johnson talking about it at Hibs as well. I don't think he's part of the Dutch school. I think he's just an odd guy. But um, he was saying that because he'd, he'd taken someone off in a game and he was asked why. And he was like, oh, he's, he'd entered the red zone for his own personal fitness metrics. So you're like, all right, Lee, but you get beat. <laughs> so, you know, what is what? And Dom Thomas is a perfect example. Dom Thomas could have no boots on and he would still have contributed more in that last 10 minutes because of exactly the type of player he is and the type of personality he is. doesn't actually matter fitness wise, because if you're Queen's Park, that last five minutes even, you can just knock the ball into that right channel. Dom Thomas is going to get the ball and Scott McGill is going to have to snap at him like a terrier and Thomas is going to be throwing himself down. He's going to be throwing his elbows out and all credit to him because it's exactly, and you said it, Blair, it's exactly what you would want Dylan Easton to do and it's exactly what Dylan Easton would do. And if you imagine we flip those roles around, we were 2-1 up against 10 men with five minutes to go and Ian Murray took Dylan Easton off, you'd be going absolutely tonto. If you took Dylan Easton off and put, and like, you know, no, no, um, not criticism or anything like that at all, but see, takes Dylan Easton off and puts Callum Hanna on, a guy who's only played a handful of games, that's yeah. the equivalent. Exactly. And you're asking a guy to go out and try and manage a game when he's only played in three before. Yeah, that's 100% it. There's a time and a place, and I'm not dismissing statistical input at all because I think it's very, very valuable, and there's a reason every club goes for it, and we all know sort of how it can work. But by the same token, there is a time and a place where just you can't write off experience. Um, and I think it's very clear to see, but yet they they seem to think they know better. Um, so long may continue. The beauty of football is that it's no baseball. It's no money ball. Do you know what I mean? Statistics don't win you a game. You can be the worst team and playing against the best team and you can still beat them. Do you know what I mean? And it's one of the things I always love about football. Like, any player can score. Like, your left back could be up at a corner and score a goal. Like, it's not just your strikers. Like, it's, it's the complete lottery of football. You just I, have to I, score one more than the other. That's all you yeah, have to do. I think it's... I'm going to kind of call out Veldman a wee bit. I think he's an absolute fraud. Um, I really do. I think he's... He's getting away with this long-term project narrative, right? If I'm a Queen's Park fan, and I get that they don't they don't have a lot of fans, and I think we've got to be really honest about that. And credit to, by the way, credit to anybody who supports Queen's Park living in Glasgow. Hats off to you. Um, but they don't have a lot of fans, so they have to look at, I don't know if it's about bringing players on that they can sell, because it's really their only way of making revenue. I don't know what that is, but um, he has made them worse. They were second in the league last year, and granted they had Simon Murray, right, which is a, a big loss for any team, and you could see that. That derailed their, their end of the season. But he has made them worse. Now, if you look at yesterday's game, Ian Murray will quite rightly get a lot of credit for the substitutions that he made, bringing on um, Hamilton when he did, bringing on Gullen when he did, and they two were, and I know we'll talk about them, they were excellent. But if Veldman doesn't make the substitutions he makes, I still don't think we necessarily win that game. I still think the ball's in their court. And I we think as well, you could game. say that about the first game as well. Yeah, we won that game because of the substitutions. How do we look? So he took off 
Louis Longridge, right, who's 32, oldest player in their squad. He took off Ben McPherson, who, granted, is young, he's 19. He took off Jack Thompson at 23, and he took off Dom Thomas, who's 27. He brought on Hepburn, who's 19, uh, Mochlin, who's 18, Pat Jarrett's 21, and Aaron Healy's 20. And then he goes in the pre in the, the interview afterwards, as Robbie said, he trots out the line of, it's no boys' football anymore. Well, give them some men to work with, because you're absolutely chucking them under a bus and then calling them out for it. He did it to... I, I tell you a player I really... I, I was one of the ones I was going to talk about in the, the pre-game thing when we talked about players and the other teams who you like. Um, I actually really like the boy Tizard that they've got, the centre-half. He looks like he's got a bit of potential. He made a mistake against Airdrie. He hooks him straight away. And, and actually, in the interview, chucks him under a bus. Yeah. And it's this thing of continually... You know when they finish the game oldest player they had in the park was uh, 28 years old and before that was Callum Ferry at 25 and and then it's like 21, 22, 23 they're kids and it's, and it's, it's, it's all the encouragement that you need if you're the Rovers there 100%. just thinking there's a chance in this for us rather than, again like Louis Longridge I don't think anybody's going to stand up and, and back Louis Longridge as a standout player in the championship no. but if you can have, to try and see out a game, if you can have three teenagers or you can have Louis, Long, Louis Longridge and Dom Thomas, I'm taking those two every day mm -hmm. to just try and see that game out. But um, it was not just a case of, of Queen's Park throwing that away by any means at all. I think we need to get back to the Rovers and, and, and dish out some credit to these guys that did come on as well as the boys that, that stayed on. I thought Jamie Gullen, I've been... You know, critical of him previously, but he was excellent. Now, he was given the role of running that left channel, which is handy, because that's what he's going to do anyway, so you might as well. Um, but he was excellent. He got such a strong See, runner. For me, I think that that's Gullen's best position, playing out on the left. That's, uh, position, that's all he does. That's, but No, but I think that like the best that we've ever seen him was that sort of COVID season, towards the end of that COVID season, when we had him and Vaughn. Um, sort of Vaughn was more up top, and Gullen was cutting him from the left and we'd see those sort of overloading attacks and the perfect example was the Fife Derby against Dunfermline when he cut in with the ball and then scalped in two goals um, so yeah I, I think that he deserves a huge amount of credit and it was just again it's just great to see the two of them back because we've sort of looked before in that Airdrie game where we're looking at the bench and you've got no one to bring on with this game it was completely different it was great so. yeah and I, I want to give a lot of credit to Scott McGill too, because as we said, there's no getting away from it, right? He is the the sort of the weak point in that back four in the back half of that game, purely because he's out of position. So it's not a yeah. criticism of him; that's not his fault. But it's so easy for your head to go down. He obviously he knows like I've just been cooked twice for these goals, and then I mean again, it's it's so naive to just leave him the space on that left side. But Scott McGill, and again. I really want to give him a lot of credit for this because he's not a fullback, he's not a wing back, but he sees the space in that channel and he's only got one thought. So I'm I'm running into this space. Easton knocks the ball to him, he goes into that space. And I think you can see he, he wants to if he can get it onto his right foot, but the defender's covering that. Fine. Byline and, and an excellent cross. And then uh, Jack Hamilton obviously excellent header as well. Um Carol, give us your thoughts on that uh on that goal, please. From the from the, the the pictures, it's when um, Queens Park did their substitutions. 
you're like, why? Why are they doing it? What's happening? And Rovers just seem to go, right, well, we can go because they are not scoring now. Not scoring now. Before the substitutions, my optimism was there, but my realism was we're going to lose this and we're going to lose another two goals and we could lose five here and just it, the afternoon go belly up. But uh, yeah, it just seemed to, everyone just went, nope, we can go forward, we can move forward. Uh, looking at the ticker from the app that I follow, uh, some, Don Thomas goes up and then it's just a couple of attempts from Queen's Park and then the goal from Jam Hamlin, assisted by Scott McGill. It's, yeah. And you could see that just the, from, even from the, the race TV, that substitution was the turning point and I have no idea why they did it. Like that they did it, appreciate they did it, thank you very much. But no idea why. No this idea why. Exactly. Um, John, actually, sorry, I was just going to say it starts a wee bit earlier than that, though. If you actually, it, it starts with Scott um, Brown losing the ball. We're playing some kind of, at this point, some kind of weird back three. Ross Millen pops up on the left wing at one point. Like it's, it turned into a school game, actually. It was great. It was like, right, boys, just, just go for it. Um, but Scott Brown loses the ball. And they, they kind of have a bit of a break. There's a couple of them break up the pitch. Scott Brown charges them down and takes the ball back off them. And I'm thinking, at that point, the Queen's Park boy just run to the corner and hold Was on that it. the Barry Hepburn, Queen's Park, that, that he made an attempt? Yeah. Was it the left to, side of the box or something? Tried to sort so. of um, backheel yeah. the ball to his pal and just trip yeah. over it. Yeah, yeah. And at that point, again, you could see it's like, ah, they, they, they don't fancy this. They are worried. No. Yeah. They yeah, don't yeah. know where to turn because they've only got other... Other guys who are 20 years They've old. They've got no them. confidence either up front or behind them. They're kind of just in the middle going, ah. And I think the, the big thing, I, I'm, I'm glad you said that, Blair, because I was going to forget to bring it up. We talked about Murray Ball, um, <laughs> and I think we all talked about Murray Ball last season, where it, it's it's chaos is its underlying feature, but it's its underlying <laughs> strength and its underlying weakness. You know, by its nature, you can't control it. Very, very chaotic, and you're just hoping something falls for you. Where I think it works now that it didn't work before was that last year we only really had Scott Brown, and he was one of the ones who would come out to let that kind of happen. Because you think, right, all the guys in the park, who's maybe on the less likely side to score? Probably Scott Brown. He's going to come out. We're going to stick a striker on or something. Now that we've got both Scott Brown and Sean Byrne in that side, it's so much more uh, stable. So he still takes Sean Byrne away, and he said himself after the game, because we were getting beat. Sean Byrne wasn't coming off at 1-1, came off as soon as it went to 2-1. But Scott Brown's still there. And as you say, they go to the back three, somehow Ross Miller ends up on the left for a period before they, they rotated back around again. But Scott Brown steps out, and I think that is possibly the key sort of change in that whole piece that... Um, Scott Brown is just ramming around the middle of the park and these laddies, are, they don't know what to do, don't know how to cope. And that gives you that foundation for, for the rest to come through. Um, John, why don't you give us your thoughts on um, both Jack Hamilton's goal and uh, Jamie Gullen winning that penalty as well? Well, it was quite funny because um, I, I've... Being the sad man that I am, I phoned both Jack and and Scott to thank them for their things, and I said to 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 Scott, "What a brilliant crossing it, it was!" and and Jack's header was just superb. And when I spoke to Jack, I said, "My God, I thought I thought Scott McGill only used his left foot for the clutch, 
And he said, fuck me, Disney Drive. <laughs> Summed it up. But what a brilliant goal. What a brilliant cross as well, you know, um, to, to have him going forward like that and get to the byline or near the byline and cut it in. And it, and it was Jack Hamilton, the way that you saw that he'd, he just stepped back from the defender and it was watching the, the, the highlights this morning. You see him motioning in the, in the, the build-up to that he was going to be in that position and, and it was great. And as, as you boys and, and Carol have said, you know, the fact that Jamie Gullen um, was in that position to, and when he was on a run, he was leaving Queen's Park players in his way because he went past them and just driving us forward and then the ball would come back and, and Dylan Easton would have a wee pop. I, I, I thought at the time, oh, that's a clear penalty. I uh, haven't seen the highlights now. I'm not so sure. I have to say on the on the on the um Craig Napier as a referee, uh, whenever he came in as a referee, I thought, oh my god, he he's a weird guy the way he runs about. And I said to people, Oh, we've got this referee again. He reminds me of um of uh, Marty McFly's dad in <laughs> The way he runs about it, because even yesterday he did a big loop round rather than running straight over when the free kick was awarded. And when he gave the penalty, I thought, "Oh my God, this is this is wonderful." But um, just the the these guys came on with Dylan Easton showing a wee bit craft, the the pace of uh, Gullen taking them up the wing. It was wonderful, and as you said, um, Robbie. A week ago, we you know we would have had to look at the bench for guys to come on. It just shows you the strength that we have once these guys are back. And that um, just on that Jack Hamilton goal as well, uh, Robbie. I know you want to come in on a, a point related to this. I don't know if they give out BAFTAs for second tier football highlights in Scotland, but the angle of uh, Jack Hamilton's goal that they've got, like the reverse angle, and it's perfectly framed so that you get the cross, you get the header back across the goal, and it's just the away end filling the rest of that frame is incredible. And I think there was a, a message to pass on for uh, sort of Ben McAdam and the, the other guys involved in setting up some of these angles. Yeah, I'll come at that in a second because uh, I, I do actually want to speak and, and give a bit of praise to Jack Hamilton. Uh, I think that it's sort of, when Jack Hamilton came in, this was exactly what we were sort of hoping for and expecting from him, just to have that presence in the penalty box. And I sort of said before that he, he's been used as a target man and you're just waiting for this. And you get, again, you think Ross Milne, Josh Milne getting balls into the box and he'll be there, he'll be there to get it. I did not expect it to be Scott McGill, but we will 100% take it. I'm 100% here for it. And just to, as you say, steps off the man and to get it back across the goal, it's such a well-taken header and he deserves so much praise. I'm just really happy for the guy. 
Um, hopefully it can get him off the mark. He can get a bit of consistency in terms of running. Um, he's obviously had a few goals this season so far, but it's been quite stop-start for him just due to injuries and things coming in and out of the squad. So, yeah, really delighted, firstly, for uh, Jack Hamilton. But, yeah, I did get a, I was chatting um, last night, and, yeah, Ben McAdam deserves a huge amount of praise. He's a volunteer. Um, I know that he wasn't a Rovers fan before he started doing the work that he's doing for the social media um, and the pitch side cameras. But wow, uh, just fantastic scenes um, that he, he's managed to, to get down there. And he just comes across as a really good guy. Um, we've got that rapport, I think, at the club at the moment, though, where you can get someone like that coming in. And just, uh, as I say, like um, I put on the uh, on the socials for, for the podcast, um, just the, the GTA San Andreas. Ah, oh, shit, here we go again. Uh, because he's just consistently there, just getting these moments of fans, of players, goals. Um, and it's happened so many times this season that we come away and you see it from a different perspective, and it's brilliant. So fair play to you, Ben. I'm really glad that you're involved with the club. And long may it continue, because you're, again, just part of a, a journey for us all. So, yeah. Yeah, I'd chip in there. Just when I did the social media stuff a couple of years ago, we were desperate to have somebody who was doing that, and and we just didn't have anybody. Like it was, it's one of them. Um, as you've mentioned already, he's a volunteer, um, and much like one of the one of the guys that never quite got a mention about the unsung hero thing, but um, Neil Inge, who yeah, a perfect you know, example. It, Funnily it, enough, Davy actually, Davy uh, Hancock messaged me there just to say, yeah, to give him a shout because he, yeah. I think he was covering a bit as well uh, yesterday. The, He's the brains behind the operation. Like he is, he is it. Um, and again, not a football fan particularly. Certainly not a Rovers fan. Like he just got involved. Um, I mean, he's the guy that I heard Carol talking about the the tin foil on the far side. He devised it all. And then when the pitch was getting relayed, he was the guy that went, "Can we not just put like a big pipe down and run a cable through it?" So they did. And it's so simple. But it's these volunteers that that kind of do that job. And for somebody like we all do this because we love this club and because you can't imagine doing anything else with your Saturday. So when you guys set this up and said, do you want to come on and talk about the Rovers for an hour? I was like, 100%. But these guys are, they're not even football fans, some of them, and they're getting involved just for the, the love of getting involved. It's yeah. true. Neil, Neil came from the hospital radio right. with the treatment room and he was the guy that helped set that up. Um, and he's a... Stop. Yeah, phenomenal guy. Absolutely, full credit to all these guys because it's um the the output is phenomenal and an absolutely you see every inch of the hard work that's gone into it. You're absolutely seeing that in the in what we get back now. Um, so absolutely, thank you to to everyone involved. Um, so on yesterday's game then, is there anything else anybody wants to chuck it? Will we talk about the penalty again? Another 20 minutes? I, um, I, I was going to say, I'd quite like to jump in just very quickly and say, I, I, I know we've had the debate about who the best player in the championship is, but I, again, a special mention to Mr Sam Stanton, who was incredible yesterday. Um, and the, the vision for Murray to, to, put, to play a midfield three in the second half, right towards the end, with Scott Brown, with Sam Stanton on either side of him, was just because <laughs> he was everywhere. He covered every single blade of grass on that pitch, um, and and just he's the. I just feel like he's the driving force behind everything. Like, and he does so much stuff that 
I mean, we, we talk about Dylan Easton because he's the greatest showman and he, he genuinely is, but Sam Stanton, and I loved, if you get a chance to see the, the highlights again, um, there's a bit where they're all, all the players are coming over and Sam Stanton goes over and shakes somebody's hand and just walks in the tunnel. He's like, sorry, boys, got a bus to catch. I'm off. <laughs> Brilliant. Just thinking, like, the last, you know, last five minutes of that game yesterday, it was almost like Murray just said, you know, fuck it, each of you do what you're best at. So you had Jamie Gallen bombing down the left, Dylan Easton bombing down the left, Scott McGill thinking, I'm a bit better going forward, Jack Hamilton bullying folk, Scott Brown charging about, just bombing into things, and then Sam Stant, you know, with his, his wee socks around his ankles and his wee beard just scurrying about and taking the ball off people. And as I say, Ross Millen, like some kind of big, lanky Tom Brady quarterback, just directing it all from the back. It was absolute magnificent chaos, you know? We had one team had a Dutchman in the dugout. They weren't the ones playing total football. But no, just to absolutely echo what you're saying, Blair. There's a real award for Stanton as well. He's such a quiet guy. He just comes across as a really, really quiet, unassuming guy, but just such an exceptionally talented player who delivers that standard for us every single week. I haven't you mentioned Big Kev? He made some great saves. I, I, <laughs> I think what we're seeing is uh, it's Ian Murray's answer to the the Dutch school. It's like uh, the Kirkcaldy version. It's it's T Hall football. It's what we are seeing. Um, wait, let's do a quick um, quick whip round the man of the match then and see if we can get Kev a mention um, Robbie kick us off man of the match for you on that one uh, I'll go with Big Kev um, just I think that some of the saves this player's touched on especially in the first half there was a few where he just turns away and just managed to pull them off and uh, just thoroughly thoroughly good guy completely invested you can see how happy he is um just now that he's playing regular football and getting that time and he's just absolutely thriving so more power to him which is great so it's quite interesting to see quite a lot of the hips fans now on the quote tweets and things like that for for social media now saying oh why did we let this guy go um i know that david marshall's got like so much experience compared to him but at the same time We've won ourselves a watch with this one, eh? He's just a very, very good goalkeeper. Um, he's had a, obviously a few hairy moments, as we, we all know, but we accept it. And he comes up with the goods time and time again. So, love Big Kev. Um, Blair, man of the match from you, please. Yeah, I've, I've already said it, Sam Stanton for me. And and a, to be fair, in a game where you could have picked half a dozen, but Sam Stanton was, was imperious yesterday. Perfect. Carol? I'm going to take Ross Millen just for the penalty and the bra striptease alone. I mean, being able to get that sports bra off and on, amazing. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. I think. Um... His, did you see his diagnosis <laughs> in one say, of those photos? I was like, yes. I, it was actually Carol. Can I just say it was even better live as a, as a happily married <laughs> man. I enjoyed that very much. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, that, yeah definitely. Muscles. On form, I think this this season. There's hats off to fitness. <laughs> yeah, I'm as I'm I'm right there with you for the the man of the match. I think um, some games it can just be one kick of the ball that takes the man of the match, and that's I mean he was excellent throughout, but um, the the technique and the the stones to go and and uh, finish a game like that, I think that uh, wins them the the champagne for me. Uh, John, how about you? Sam Stanton for me for what you know for the work he did for the way he um, brought everybody into the game the way he won tackles the way 
drove us forward at times. I think that was my man of the match. And Les, how about you? I'm also going to go for Ross Millen for a couple of reasons. For you know, just the the absolute cool head under under pressure to take the penalty. And also for then removing his shirt and his sports bra, and as we've just talked about, the inspiration that has given me to go on a fitness kick. You know, I was on the, the train home last night, not that you would be drinking on the train anyway, but I thought, right, no cans tonight, weights, bike tomorrow. On that basis, I'm going to try and get myself into better shape. So if Ross Millen, one, thank you for the penalty. Thank you also for giving me a bit of inf- inspiration to try and keep myself in shape. Can I just ask an additional question here? Who is uh, Mrs. Mabin's man of the match? Her man of the match was, I think it was Scott Brown. She quite liked the idea of just seeing somebody with our captain's band charging about and, uh, you know, taking control of situations and things like that. And, yeah, the, the, the Japanese kind of characteristics of leadership and seeing a captain standing up. And again, just, just a wee word on that note for Scott Brown as well. We've talked about it before. We're asking him to do every week something that isn't kind of the top thing in his skill set. But, you know, every week he does it without fail. Okay, he's not a centre-back. But he's not shipping goals either. So, again, a wee word for, for Scott Brown from Mrs. Maiden. Yeah, thoroughly, uh, thoroughly well deserved. Um, So, <clears throat> not often that we get madness like yesterday, but the I think the, the beauty of football, really, is that it does deliver these moments where everybody just goes mad. You've got arms in the air, you've got bodies flying everywhere. And uh, today's big question is going to keep us on that theme. So I would like to hear about some other times where we've had some uh, some arms up in the air. So I want you, please, to give me your best limbs. And I'm going to start with uh, Robbie, please. Yeah, I, initially I went with um, Damien Castellanovo against Air just because of the whole, I think, like, during that game, Brian Graham had got sent off and we'd gone, uh, been back and forth, and then they went, into, um, they went into a lead and then we pulled it back. And got the winner um but yeah just at the end of that game it's just sheer relief but i'm actually going to change it at the last minute and i don't know if anyone else has got this but i think alan walker against dunfermline that looping header when we came back from 2-0 down to to draw two all um kept us top of the league and i just remember the me and my friends we'd started off at the back of the stand and then we moved down the front um to get our whole group together and we were on the left hand side of the goal so we saw it come in and we realised it was going in a sort of split second before anyone else did. But straight away, I fell over the seat in front. I've grabbed onto the guy in front of me who's carried me halfway along the row, running about the front of the stand, going mental, hugging my friend, just charging into each other. Just the whole atmosphere at the end of the game was just fantastic. It was just ridiculously good to watch. Um and just completely one of those results that's against the odds. Um, so yeah, that would be that would be my pick. Just the memory of just seeing my friend at the front of the stand, just running into each other, just bear hugging, and just the the whole atmosphere at the end. Um, I think it would have been a bit um, unfair to have gone with uh, Stanton's one earlier in the season, which deserves a mention as well. But yeah, I just all. Oh, Absolutely cannot beat that feeling of a last-minute goal, um, particularly if it's a winner. In this case, it wasn't, but, yeah. Well, that, um, I mean, John mentioned Back to the Future earlier. I don't think time has ever moved slower than the time between the ball leaving Alan Walker's forehead and actually crossing the line. It just seemed to hang in the air forever. But um, 
that was that was an absolute beauty. That was a really, really good one. Um, let's see, John, next one from you, please. Well, I've got a picture in the background there, um, and my one will be Gordon Dale's uh, equaliser in the, the last minute of the Coca-Cola Cup. Probably the biggest game of, of our history. Uh, I remember... And I remember sitting thinking, oh, we've lost, we're going to lose 2 1. You know, and I, I, I was thinking, I was kind of sick thinking, we're going to get all these patronizing things about, oh, your wee team did well, they came close. And then Jason Dare has a shot, Gordon Marshall parries it out, and Gordon runs in. And I think it was Craig Brewster that said in the commentary or after the game, said if it hit his nose and gone in, it would have taken the whole fucking net away, you know. But it was just the greatest moment. And uh, I, I just saw people crying around me, you know, and it was it was just the greatest moment. That and being in Argentina when I put my phone on. But I'm not going back to that again. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. I think uh, quite simply the greatest moment um, for this football club. Uh, Carol, let's have a story from you, please. Uh, well, I haven't been, I mean, it's been a long time since I've had proper limb experience, but I think when the final against Rangers, because I'd flown in, I'd got a ticket on my own, so I knew nobody around me, I knew nothing was happening, and I was just like, we're going to lose this, and I'm going to have to put up with my father-in-law, my partner, just with their sarcastic messages, and just when that goal went in the back of the net, I don't know. I ended up down the front of the stadium. I have no idea how I was down the front of the seats. No idea who these people are. Was hugging and kissing random strangers. Yep. Yeah. That, yeah. I mean, that was it. just sitting there on my own going, oh, this is going to be awful and I'm going to have to go home on my own and all that. No. no. Fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. I think that, that moment is actually best encapsulated by John Baird himself, who is quite visibly losing his mind. Yeah, he just has literally no his head off what to do and there's yeah. thousands of people behind them and all of us were exactly yeah, yeah. the same uh, yeah, yeah. i do uh, i yeah. love the video and the fact that it cuts to the dugout and grant murray strolling back but you see the late brian marr the kit man at the time turning round and just going to the stand like that which is full of rangers fans and i've no idea who he's doing it to but it's absolutely glorious and just again just the whole arrogance from them before the game that whole tifo of place the victory crown on the pride of glasgow yeah. town or whatever birthday care pish it was that they had <laughs> um and just i just fantastic you just and then just watching it empty afterwards just watching yeah. it just go yeah. from three sides 100%. of rangers fans to absolutely nothing and i hadn't i kind of made my peace with it we're going to go we're going to have a good day out this is going to be a fun day i've flown back from barcelona it'll be a great afternoon and i'll fly back on monday and it'll be oh well at least we put in a good show no 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 it was the best it was um, best. funny funny leaving the ground that day because i bumped into tam who sits just the row behind me just along to the left and it was so funny because we just i was like oh it's you and then we just laughed and started hugging each other like just completely out of character for both of us just laughing at it just how surreal and stupid it was but that's why you go that's 100% why you go. That's exactly it. Um, okay, um, Leslie, you're next, please. Well, I'm taking us back in history to, to 
around the, the same sort of period in, in history as, as John has just talked about. And I'm going to a little bit later in that season because some of you might remember long ago, the pathway between the second level and the first level of Scottish football was a bit clearer. You know, you didn't have what you have now where a cash-rich team comes down and they just turn the taps on and bounce straight back up and they, they just scuttle between. It used to be the case that clubs could actually have a fair bit of mobility between divisions. This was the case in the 1994-95 season where we were right up there um, going towards the, the end of the season with a, a real chance of getting promoted back into the Premier League having been relegated the season before. And we were away to St Johnston at McDermott Park and we'd been losing 1-0. And sometime quite late in the second half, Alan Preston scored an amazing volley which just happened to be into our net. It was, it was an own goal for, you know, biscuits off the radio. A beautiful, it was one of the best goals I've ever seen. It also happened to be an own goal. So that, that was 1-1. And then, pretty near the end of the game, Stevie Crawford breaks free, fires a ball past him. Oh, I'm assuming it must have been Alan Mean in the, in the St Johnston goal. And bear in mind, at this point, I'm 10. Like, I've not only played games on my own. And this random bloke just picks me up. And I don't know who he is. I guess, you know, I don't know talking about a, a fair point in history. I mean, you could just do stuff like that. This random bloke just picks me up. And I end up about, you know, 30 metres and three rows away from where my dad was. And um, I must have been wearing that very goalie top there. I'm assuming that I must have been wearing that goalie top and a wee barber jacket as well, in tribute to the Perthshire countryside. And this guy just picked me up, absolute limbs, scenes behind the goal. And Graham Meldrum had told me recently on Twitter that that was actually the last goal we scored that season. And John, you'll correct me if I'm wrong here, that that was the, the last goal we scored that season. And it was enough to just get us over the line and get us back into the Premier League. So that was my my first experience of limbs. And you know, looking back on it, you know, I, I was really lucky that some of my, my earliest memories as a as a Rovers fan were from some of those those great moments in our history. And it's really nice to now be be seeing some of that kind of stuff again up at the, the right end of the of the championship. Absolutely fantastic. Uh, a brilliant story. And uh Blair, I mean I'm gonna just assume you've got four or five uh, for us. I really do. <laughs> um, you want me to go now, yeah? So I would love I'm, you I'm, to, please. I'm not gonna. I'm gonna do one, but I've got to be honest. I'm itching to talk about a dozen of them. Like it's the one thing that go on, go yeah. for it, go for it. I didn't want to steal Duncan's, but I mean, you've got a uh, panel. No, no, you, you carry the, on. The goal I that put the champagne back on ice. To you. The, the goal that put the champagne back on ice. Paniotu against Rangers. You've got Brian Potter making the save in the semi final in the the Coca Cola Cup run. Um, I mean the Walker one, yeah. You've got Sam Stanton this season, Vaughn this season. You've got like there's there's uh, it's the one thing I love as a football fan. Laurie Ellis at Dundee, even though it's early on, it was just the celebration right in front of the oh amazing. But the one for me um, was uh, the 2018 season under Barry Smith, um, and it's a game that I'll never forget as long as I live. Um, it was actually my birthday. We were out the night before, and I was hanging. I was so hungover. Um, I was getting picked up by my mate. I literally threw up in a bush before I got in his car. Like, I was struggling. And I, at one point, I got in his car, <clears throat> sat down and went, I think I'm going to go today. I was like, I'm, I'm really struggling. And I went, no, do you know what? I'll be fine. It's Airdrie away. They serve pot noodles at half time. I'll be all right. I'll, I'll make it. Um, so we go through, and João Victoria turns out to be the best player in the in League One that season for some reason. Um, up against Jamie Watson at right back for us. 
Um, and we were rotten. We were absolutely awful. So we're 2-0 down. We pull one back through. Um, I think it was Liam Buchanan got the first one. Um, pull one back. And at 2-1, you're thinking, this is rotten. They then... Oh, no, sorry. We get Ian Davidson sent off for a headbutt. So you're Miles out. away from any action on the pitch as well. Oh. It's like running back from a corner. And they just not. Uh, and it was right... Actually, pretty much right in line with where we were in that stand at Airdrie. And we all just went, oh, fuck's sake, Davo. Like, come on, mate. So you're 2-1 down, down to 10 men. And then 10 minutes later, uh, they score. Joe Victoria scores again to go 3-1. And you're like, get this game in the bin. Like, it is awful. And then it just turned out of nothing. And I mean, my memory, I think Benny got injured and had gone off as well. So we were kind of, no in any great shakes, but it was like Nathan Flanagan, um, obviously Nisbet up front, um, Duggan, yeah. And it was just that, that thing of we score and then you're going, here, we've we've maybe got a wee chance here, it's 3-2, and then we score again to go three each. And then you're thinking, go on, go on. And then 90 plus, it must be about four or five minutes after 90, and we score again to go 4-3 up. And it's hilarious because are they... They, they credited Liam Buchanan with a hat-trick that day. And it wasn't. It was two each. It was him and Nisbet got two each. But Nisbet never, ever got um, given that yeah. goal. But just, I just remembered absolute limbs everywhere. Three rows in front, jumping about like a madman. And I was still doing social media at that point. So I'm like pulling out the phone and trying to update. Is like just going, ah, oh, a great game. If you Good get a chance, uh, Kev... Um, but it was got on his YouTube account. He's got a lot of like fan videos in terms of ninetieth, well, goals in general, just of him. And it's just his brilliant accent, just in the background, going "fucking hell," <laughs> and it's just fantastic. It sums it up. But my friend, he he had a video of the the free kick, um, right as we got the equaliser, and he's like. Began hat trick, and we're just giggling away to ourselves like we kids at the prospect that we might get a draw because it was just so surreal with 10 minutes to go that we could go from 3 1 with 10 men to, to getting that uh, equaliser and then going on to win. But I think with Chris Duggan, it's interesting because you don't remember much about his time with Rovers, but he was involved with some pretty big moments where he had the Derby game where he got the crossing for Vaughan and then Ashcroft got sent off for the pars and then he was in the build up for that uh, fourth goal at Airdrie. So I know he's back over in Australia now, but just a, a really um, strange to think back at that period in terms of our club. I just love it because we were awful. Like we did oh, not I... deserve, we didn't deserve a point. We were honestly atrocious that day. And to come out 4-3 up, having been murder for, I don't know, 85 minutes of the game. It's just, it's the things that as a football fan, like we've said before, how do people that don't watch football feel that I don't know what they do? Like it's tremendous. Um, social I'm, media, what happened to Ross Millen's goal gift yesterday? Social media kind of stopped when we equalised. The penalty got announced and then there was nothing afterwards. Where's his goal gift? I want the dance. Balls are too big to fit in. That's, Carol, that's what the kids call breaking the internet. <laughs> I think it's what Ross Millen did yesterday. Um, or broke I'm just, the updater. Yeah. Uh, I'm just going to give a very quick nod to, to kind of a, a specific scenario of limbs that I particularly enjoy. And I've got two examples that um, played out almost exactly the same way and it's scoring at the other end and then you get that celebration for the length of the run of the celebration from one goal to the other 
the other end. And I'm thinking specifically of uh, Taddy at Pataudry yeah. and then uh, Regan Hendry at Fur Hill in that last game before lockdown. It's yeah. just, it's that sort of, like, <laughs> just, you know, however many hundreds of people it is, just beckoning that one guy as he's got, he's got 100, 100 yards to, to sprint. Um, it's just a, a really specific, but a really, really enjoyable scenario to be in. And... Oh. Uh, it's that pulling them in there's the you know that i mentioned the laurie ellis goal at dundee if you actually look there's that famous photo that's taken from the other end and it's him standing with his arms he looked just above his right shoulder i'm literally doing that (laughs) i'm in the front row i've got that on my phone yeah yeah. it's that it's i see it's every single individual just quite literally and quite simply just being like come and give me a hug come and cuddle me and uh the the other the other thing with that is from yesterday is the just before we started recording the rovers put up a clip and it's i don't know if it's ben or if it's someone else but the camera has, is right at the front of the stand as the penalty is being taken and what i really like but it's at the beginning it's clearly like some young guys it's, it's like you know younger teenagers who are there it's maybe a 40 second clip and you just see the age of the supporters coming down the stand just gradually increases as the uh, as the celebrations go on, which is um, just, again, just great content. Absolutely um, delighted to see it. I was going to say, just before we move on, something I meant to mention when we talked about the game, but special mention to those young boys at the front. As Leslie said, you know, the, the slavering mess that they become at the front and how angry they are. But the point in the first half, I don't know if any of the that were there clocked it, they were having a, a to-and-fro with what can only be described as a, a group of 12-year-olds in the in the Queen's Park end. And there was one little kid in the Queen's Park end, literally stood up, and this is one for the YouTubers, but he's standing up and he's like, come on then, come on then, bring it on. Let's go. We literally got guys at the front giving it the, like, come on outside. And I'm like, he's 12. I'm, I'm under the impression that that section was the free primary school tickets that Queen's yeah. Park had given out. Good, good. You love to hear it. I did enjoy hearing over the the sort of um, the noise of the background of the crowd, and you hear them chanting about rovers getting battered everywhere they go, despite the fact that they're in such horrendous, horrendous form, and we're second top of the league. But again, there's no logic to football. You've just got to kind of run with it. Um, And yeah, I mean, people call. Hibs fans, spoon burners, despite Leaf being one of the more affluent areas now of Edinburgh. Dunfermline call us the wee team, despite the fact we're quite clearly far more substantial than they are. You've just got to accept that there's no logic in it. That's exactly it. As long as everybody has fun, and I certainly had fun yesterday. Um, And I tell you what, just to to kind of bring us to a close today, we're going to do something just a little bit different, a little bit special, I think. So, on this uh, Remembrance Sunday, I am going to hand this over to uh, esteemed Wraith Rovers club historian John Greer, and he's going to tell us all just a little bit more about um, McRae's battalion and the uh, the men who served. Well, that's the famous photo we've all seen. Um, three of these play- players and soldiers were honoured in the Wraith Rovers Hall of Fame. First of all, we have Jimmy Scott, uh, who was killed in action. He died on the 12th of March, 1916. 
He was the first professional footballer to be killed during the, the war. We also have Jimmy Scott, who died on the 1st of July 2016, and he was killed on the first day of the Battle of the Somme. We also have George McClay, who won a distinguished honour of he received the military medal, which was the non-commissioned officer's equivalent of the military cross. And he died at Passchendaele in October 1917. These guys served us very well. 